Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar, and this is going to be episode 236 of The Informed Catholic. Episode 236 of The Informed Catholic. So, uh, before we begin, please, if you like what I do and you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and share. It would be a great help. Now, once more... Merry Christmas to you and to your loved ones and to your families. Uh, Today is um, December 29th, and I'm going to read something from St. Thomas Beckett. I'm going to do the reading for today. It probably won't be from uh, what do you call like common martyrs, whatever, but I'm going to do the liturgical reading for today. Because the readings now all lead to the Feast of Epiphany. So, uh, let's begin with our act of confession. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words and what I have done and what I have failed to do. Through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask Blessed Mary, Ever-Virgin, and all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May our mighty God have mercy on us, forgive us all our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Kiri Elision. Kiri Elision. Kiri Elision. Christe Elision. Christe Elision. Christe Elision. Kiri Elision. Kiri Elision. Kiri Elision. Now, uh, the Gloria. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to people of goodwill. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you, we give you thanks for your great glory. Lord God, Heavenly King, O God, Almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Only Begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world, receive our prayer. You are seated at the right hand of the Father, have mercy on us. For you alone are the Holy One, you alone are the Lord, You alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, in the glory of God the Father, forever and ever. Amen. Okay. And um, this is going to be the reading um, for today. Uh, It's basically targeting January. It's before Epiphany. So... Um, the first reading from the, uh, the first letter of St. John, chapter two, verse 22 to 28. Let what you, let what you heard from the beginning remain in you. A reading from the first letter of St. John. Beloved, who is the liar? Whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ, whoever denies the father and the son, this is the antichrist. Anyone who denies the Son does not have the Father, but whoever confesses the Son has the Father as well. Let what you heard from the beginning remain in you. If what you heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made. He made us eternal life. I write you this, these things about those who would deceive you. As for you, the the anointing that you receive from him remains in you, so, so that you do not need anyone to teach you. But his anointing teaches you about everything and, and is true and not false, just as it taught you remain in him, just as it taught you remain in him. And... Hold on. I want to make sure I'm not trapped here with the two papers. And now, children, remain in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be put to shame. 
by him at his coming. Okay, let me read it one more time. A reading from the first letter of St. John. Beloved, who is the liar? Whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ, whoever denies that the Father and the Son, whoever denies the Father and the Son, this is the Antichrist. One more time. Beloved, who is the liar? Whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ, whoever denies the Father and the Son, this is the Antichrist. Anyone who denies the Son does not have the Father. Whoever denies, whoever confesses the Son has the Father. Let what you heard from the beginning remain in you. If what you heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise that He made. He made us eternal life. I write you these things about those who would deceive you. As for you, the anointing that you received from him remains in you, so that you do not need anyone to teach you, but his anointing teaches you about everything, and it is true and not false, just as it taught you remain in him. I think this really needs a little bit more time to to really go over what what is being said here to us. It speaks a lot to me because um, I came from a Muslim background and Muslims do not believe that Jesus Christ is God. They don't believe this idea of the, of the incarnation that God would, would become a human being. It's ridiculous to them. It's uh, blasphemous. So I'd like to focus on this a little bit more. Beloved, who is the liar? Whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ, whoever denies the Father and the Son, this is the Antichrist. Anyone who denies the Son does not have the Father, but whoever confesses the Son has the Father as well. Let what you heard from the beginning remain in you. If what you heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise that he made us eternal life. I write you these things about those who would deceive you. As for you, the anointing that you received from him remains in you, so that you do not need anyone to teach you. But, ha but his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and not false, just as it taught you remain in him. And now, children, remain in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be put to shame by him at his coming. <sighs> to our, like I've always said in other podcasts, we are an incarnation faith. We believe in a person. A person who is both human and divine, true God and true man, Jesus Christ, the Word, the Logos of the Father, who comes from the Father, who was with the Father before all things, and who was made who was made flesh through the power of the Holy Spirit. A lot of people in the world don't believe it. I mean, we live in a time where we have scholars, where we have, I hate to say it, some of them in seminaries don't believe this. We live in a society where, you know, where now even life is not respected, even if you're born. The other day, the there was a a thing on Instagram about a British reporter who actually sat in a room and watched an abortion being performed. She was shocked because she admitted that the, that the child moved. The child was moving. 
Of course, they're not going to call it a child. They're going to say it's a fetus. And the word fetus is Latin for unborn child. They don't want to, they don't want, they want to deny life. Our Lord, the Logos, came into this world as a human being. He chose, he took upon himself human nature. And he restored the divinity back into human nature. What we lost from the fall. Islam is a religion that denies because he does not believe it's possible for a powerful God, the creator of the universe, they look at it as he is demeaning himself to take on human nature, the limits of humanity, because to them, God is God and human is human. So if God cannot come as a human being to a Muslim, then therefore that means that the human person is not made in the image and likeness of God. So therefore the incarnation is impossible. Basically because they deny that image. And just look at the fact that the way they, they, they practice submission and how they practice power. You are what you believe just like you hear the line, you are what you eat. You are what you believe. You are what you believe and what you believe you put to practice. If you don't believe it, then you will still put it to practice. What you don't believe. Because it's what you believe. Either way, if you believe human beings are cells, bacteria, a possible accident, then you will treat humanity in that sense. Because we're, because if you, if we believe that we are made in the likeness of God, then therefore we will believe it and we will treat human beings with a certain sacredness you know, as much as possible. The Nazis didn't believe that certain people weren't, were human. They didn't. They believed that certain people were animals, and they, so they treated them like animals. They treated them like, like roaches. They treated them like garbage. And they dis, and they killed them, slaughtered them like they were garbage. The same thing happened in Soviet Russia. But if we believe human beings are sacred, if we believe that life is sacred then we will do everything we can to treat that person, even if they're born with defects, even if they're born with physical defects, mental defects, emotional defects, sexual defects, we will treat them with a dignity because they're made in the image and likeness of God. All the defects are the result of a fallen nature. What's important is that we treat that fallen nature as though it was not a fallen nature. We treat it sacred because Jesus himself treated human beings. You know the stories he heard the man who was um, with the palsy, the man who was brought down on a, on a pallet. And he couldn't move. And he told him to rise and walk and go home. He healed the leper right if you if you will if you will you can make me clean i do will be clean and he cleansed the leper he healed the man with a withered arm he healed the blind there's a story in the gospel of luke about a woman who was hunched over for 18 years Supposedly, either it was a physical or spiritual affliction. And he healed her and she became, she stood straight. The, uh, the woman who came in in Gospel of Luke and cleansed, uh, she, watched, she washed his feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. And he forgave her. The woman caught an adultery in the gospel of John and the men brought her so that they could see if Jesus was willing to stone her. 
and Jesus and Jesus turned the tables on them. The man who was by the pool of Silo, a uh, Salim, uh, Gospel of John, he was. He couldn't walk. He couldn't go down when the waters was disturbed by an angel. This, this was this. Jesus healed him. And the man who was uh, blind, who was, I, I believe the text says, you know, that he had no eyes. And Jesus spit, made mud, and rubbed, rubbed the mud, sculpted him eyes. He did it. He did these things. These are these are wonderful. These are things that prove that he he changed the meaning of what be, what is being what is human. And the problem is, we live in the world that wants to doesn't want us to believe that, doesn't want us to believe it. We live in the world now with a lot of population control fanatics, who really they're just using the everything that the Nazis believed is now politically correct. Everything the Nazis believed is now environmentalism. Everything that the Nazis, the massacre they're doing, they're going to do it through um, humanitarian means. I don't trust these people. All right? In my opinion, for all the abortionist pop, uh, politicians, we should have the Herod Massacre Award or the Herodias Award for, for, you know, for, let's say for the female politician and we should hand it over to them. Cuomo, in my opinion, and de Blasio and some of these other like, like uh, pro-population control politicians, we should have an award for, for them and we should call it the Herod Massacre Award because Remember, Herod was the head of state. And we should remind them that they are his heirs. If they so if, if they so wish to believe this, then we should have an award for them. As as in a sense like a mock, because if they really believe they're that great, then why not just say it that you want to slaughter them? And you don't, and you want to slaughter them because you don't think they're worthy to be alive. All right. So the responsorial psalm is Psalm ninety-eight, and the response is, "All the ends of the earth have seen the saving power of God. All the ends of the earth have seen the saving power of God. Sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done wondrous deeds. His right hand has won victory for Him." His holy arm. All the ends of the earth have seen the saving power of God. The Lord has made his salvation known. In the sight of the nations, he has revealed his justice. He has remembered his kindness and his faithfulness toward the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the saving power of God. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation by our God. Sing joyfully to the Lord, all you lands. Break into song. Sing praise. All the ends of the earth have seen the saving power of God. Okay, so one thing about the Psalms, it's always a prayer of encouragement. This is why the church uh, has what's called the Liturgy of the Hours or the Divine Office. And it's not just priests or religious or monks or people in a religious life, like say in a cloistered monastery. It's actually anybody, even lay people are welcome to pray them. Technically, the main parts that stand out is morning and evening prayer. And there's also like sprinkled daytime prayer, midday prayer. But there's also a part called the divine office which is something that's meant for priests. The whole thing is actually meant for, for the religious people, but even lay people are invited to participate. That's something I think that Vatican II and John Paul II, um, uh, you know, has, has invited cat, uh, lay people to do. In the, the parts called the Divine Office, it has, again, three Psalms, 
and it has a scriptural passage, usually it's from the Old Testament or from, like, say, the New Testament, like the Epistles, the Book of Acts, the Gospels, of course, you're not going to get them in the, in the Liturgy of the Hours because the Gospels we hear at Mass makes sense. And what it is is that you get also a pastoral letter. It could be from, let's say, a church father or St. Augustine or um, St. Thomas Aquinas' uh, teaching or something from Vatican II sometimes. And what it is is that it's supposed to help keep the Word of God in front of priests because the clerics and religious people, they can be caught up with all the things that they have to worry about, say, in, 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 their, in their, um, their calling, such as to minister to us, that sometimes they may, they may lose sight of the Word of God. So it's meant to keep the Word of God in front of them constantly. And that's what it's supposed to do. But it's, it, in it is the, the, the foundation is the Psalms. Because it's the official, it was a prayer book of Israel and it became the prayer book of the church. It's actually the official prayer of the church, the divine office, the liturgy of the hours. Now, it doesn't mean we're, we're not compelled to pray it, but we're welcome to. And there's actually several different versions of it. There's also something called the little office of Mary, which is a very small, tiny um you know, Liturgy of the Hours, it usually consists with one week. It actually has been adjusted through the years where it might be two or three weeks or four weeks. They actually have, uh, you know, a smaller version of it. And there's like a shorter version of the of the, of the Liturgy of the Hours, a shorter prayer, Christian prayer, shorter version. But still, it should, it should not, you should not neglect the rosary. If it's not possible that one cannot, you know, can't pray it, uh, you know, you can't fit it into your daily life, then I would suggest carry a Bible with you. And what you can do is, now this is what's consisted of the Liturgy of the Hours. With your morning prayer, you put in what's called the Benedictus, which is the prayer of Zechariah, blessed be the Lord. For evening prayer, you put in the Magnificat of Mary after you read your portion of scripture you end it with that prayer, you know, in a sense, because really you, we all should be reading the Bible. We should be reading the Bible daily. I would love to add it, but I want to, I want to be, I want to do systematic study of, of the scriptures. I want to, I want to read as much about, uh, I want my plan for the new year is to read as much of the Vatican II documents as possible so that I know what I'm talking about because I've heard so much um, controversies and everything. And, you know, the, in, in the Catholic church these days, we have so much camps. There's um, what they could, someone want to refer to as the Vatican II camps, the progressive camps, the trad camp. Those who only go to, Latin Mass, I'm just going to be an Orthodox Catholic, meaning I'm going to look at everything, examine everything. Like for those who, who call themselves traditionalists or trads, they, they don't like, they reject John Paul II's luminous mysteries because they think that the original three rosaries are like the joyful, the sorrowful, and the glorious because they add up to 150 Hail Marys, which is a symbolism of 150 Psalms. I disagree. I don't think there's anything wrong with the Luminous Mysteries. I think the Luminous Mysteries are necessary because we live in a day where, I'll give you an example, people are leaving the church. We need the baptism of the Lord. To meditate on. Um, marriage is being attacked. So we need the wedding at Cana. Um, teaching the faith. And knowledge of the faith. Is being attacked. Constantly. 
Um, we have bad teachers, bad, uh, we, we're having a lot of misinformation about Catholicism. We need the proclamation of the kingdom. The divinity of our Lord is constantly being, being attacked. So we need the transfiguration in there. And many Catholics are beginning to doubt of the real presence, the real presence. And there's a lot of blasphemies, a lot of sacrilegious behaviors. Um, there's a lot of talk about admitting practicing homosexuals to receive the Eucharist. There's a lot of talk about letting non-Catholics who don't believe in the real presence to come and receive communion. There's a lot of talk about uh, marriage and divorce, people who are not properly um there's a lot of people receiving the Eucharist in a state of mortal sin, which is angering our Lord because they're not, because the, the sacraments are being, it's being cast to people who do not believe. It's being treated blasphemously. There's a lot of, a lot of attacks against uh, churches, a lot of blasphemies being committed. A lot of um, sacred art has been attacked. We need the luminous mysteries. We need the luminous mysteries today. And we need these mysteries to help us. All right. We need baptism. We need the wedding at Cana. We need the proclamation of the kingdom. We need the transfiguration to defend the divinity of our Lord. And we need the meditation on the last supper, which is we, which is the Eucharist. We need these meditations. And I think for some people, who are constantly like nitpicking between um, uh, what they they want to believe is traditional with <laughs> the church is the church is 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 living it's alive it's not trapped in time it's not stuck it, you know we the church is like our Lord transcendent there is a transcendence about the church you know. You know, we, 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 we go back to apostolic times. We, we gone through the, the, the medieval and the Renaissance and we hear modern, but the church should never do is never contradict itself. It should never, it's teaching should never be contradicted. And that's true. But what it is, it's constantly being suppressed by bad shepherds. And the Holy Spirit has given us the luminous mysteries. All right. It, you know, we can use this rosary to pray on any mystery of the Bible. There's actually one by a Polish priest who added creation in other parts. Uh, the, you know, the early primeval days, like from creation to uh, the fall of Adam and Eve to Cain and Abel um, to the, the, what do you call it? The flood of Noah and the Tower of Babel, and then the call of Abraham and the the uh, the patriarchs and the Exodus, um, the Book of Judges. All these things that basically is completeness of salvation history. There's I'm going to share it with you uh, sometime in the new year. It's not official, but it can be used. I think for Bible study, it can be used for meditation and Bible study. All right, let's go to the gospel. Okay. The Alleluia Antiphon. Alleluia, Alleluia. In times got past, God has spoken, has spoke to our ancestors through the prophets. In these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. Alleluia, Alleluia. It's a reading from the gospel according to John, chapter 1, verse 19 to 28. There is one who is coming after me. This is John the Baptist. A reading from the holy gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to, make, to, to him to ask him, Who are you? He admitted and did not deny it, but admitted I am not the Christ. So they asked him, What are you then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you so we can give an answer to those who sent us? 
What do you have to say for yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the desert. Make straight the way of the Lord. As Isaiah the prophet said, some Pharisees were also sent and they asked him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ or Elijah or the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but there is one among you whom you do not recognize, the one who's coming after me, whose sandal straps I am not worthy to untie. This happened in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. As I said, this is something that's very important. We see in the letter, the first letter of St. John, it's defending. The first letter of St. John was written because there were already people who were denying the divinity of Christ. They were called um, back then Gnostics. Uh, Islam has a slight bit of Gnosticism in it, the Gnostic cult, because it has a, it has actually probably more of the um, uh, Arian heresy, the fact that it simply sees Jesus as human, but yet at the same time, Islam wants to claim that they believe in the virgin birth. Well, they can believe in the virgin birth, but they don't believe that he's divine. That's uh, Arian heresy. And maybe in some cases for Muhammad, the prophet of Islam, he had to believe this in order to make himself, in order he had to lessen Jesus down, in order to make Jesus equal to him or to say that I am the last of the prophets. But the fact is he's coming not from um, Judaism because he's not a Jewish prophet. He was not a Jewish prophet. Muhammad was an Arab from, from, from Arabia. Uh, and at the same time, he, didn't, he wasn't a practitioner of Judaism, nor was he a practitioner of Christianity. But he was most where he was, he was most definitely influenced by some forms of Christianity, not we can definitely say not Orthodox Christianity, not Apostolic Christianity. And he was probably exposed to some form of corruption of Judaism. We don't know for certain, but he was he he definitely knew there were Jews uh, right up north in Arabia in the place of Medina. It was once a Jewish city. Now, the fact is he was exposed. We don't know how much he knew. We don't know how how much he was exposed to. Rumor has it that his first wife came from a tr Christian tradition, but most definitely we can say for certain that it was definitely not true apostolic Orthodox Christianity. Some cases she might have been she might have been belonged to some heretical sect of Christianity, due to the fact that it, obviously that from what we know. And what he, what he, what was in the, what's in the Quran, it was definitely not apostolic Christianity, not orthodox Christianity, uh, in, in the least. But he could not accept Jesus as God. This is something we know for certain because of what happened with, uh, you know, with Islam, the direction that Islam went, what you believe you will live it and you will practice it and it will, it will be who you are. As I said, definitely he was exposed to something and definitely we don't know. He says he met an angel in the desert. We don't know what he saw. And we can most definitely say as Christians, if it was an angel from God, it would not have contradicted the gospel. It would not have contradicted the word of God. That we can we can say for certain, because whatever he said did not lead him into the truth. It's funny in many cases there is a modern day Muhammad, or at least in the nineteenth century Joseph Smith of the Mormons. 
he wound up teaching a uh, a form of corruption uh where he actually seemed to believe that that he is a prophet and we know for certain that it's not orthodox christianity because what mormonism believes they don't believe in in the trinity the same way we do we don't they don't believe in one god revealed as three divine persons um they believe that um it's three individual gods <laughs> and of course there's other complicated things about mormonism that um it's too much to get into right now but it if you notice something each of these seem to attack the divinity um jehovah witnesses do not believe jesus is god they as a matter of fact they think he is michael the archangel of some of some belief and it has gnostic beliefs in it lo and behold so now if you ever notice you'll uh, you'll notice both in jehovah witnesses houses of worship and mormons houses of worship there's no cross on the steeple you'll never see a cross maybe you might to some cases maybe in mormonism maybe you might but if you ever notice they uh, mormonism always has an angel blowing a trumpet and Jehovah's Witnesses definitely don't don't appeal to crosses. Uh, not, at least not the Roman cross. They have some other weird concept where Jesus' arms is nailed right over a pole, like a vertical pole. But they don't believe that Jesus is God. And so that does make them a cult. That does make them not Orthodox Christians, not Apostolic Christianity, most definitely. <sighs> All right, so let me look for that uh, Thomas Beckett. All right, so I'm going to read a letter here by St. Thomas Beckett, Bishop and Martyr. Now, I'll, I'll give you a little bio here first. Thomas Beckett was born in London in 1118, a cleric of the Diocese of Canterbury. He first became chancellor to the king, and then in 1162 was chosen bishop. His tireless defense of the rights of the church against Henry II prompted the king to exile Becket to France for six years. After returning to his homeland, he endured many trials, and in 1170, he was murdered by agents of the king. Now, I'll give you a little bit more. Um, this was during the time, I guess you could say, after the Norman invasion. Becket was a Norman um, the word I think if anyone uh forgive me if I get this wrong, but I believe Norman was uh short for Northmen from Normandy, France, because there were Vikings and they invaded that area and it became Normandy for Northmen. And then later on those Northmen invaded England and they were it was called the Norman invasion. And there was another group called Saxons, which was the word for sacking. And they also were from Viking ancestry. So you got people in Saxony and you got other people from another part of Engl uh, England who also were of Viking ancestral roots. Basically, uh, very few people had actual, I guess you could say, real English blood in them. Uh, anyway, but Thomas Beckett and Henry II were of Norman background. And they, um, Beckett was a deacon and Henry II wanted to use him, short story, Henry II wanted to use him as bishop for his own political selfish means. Beckett had, um, Let's just say he had some anxiety about the whole thing. He he didn't like the idea of being used, especially in a sacred office that he had regard for and high respect. But Henry uh, II, king, had no qualms about that. So eventually Becket was ordained, made a priest, then bishop. And then, I you know, eventually what happened was 
sorry about that. There was a situation, I think it was over a priest who um, was accused of a crime or found guilty of a crime. Uh, Henry, Henry II decided to take upon himself to punish the priest, not leaving it up to Beckett to handle the situation as a bishop, as he's supposed to. When the king, when when he found out that the king actually, I think he might have executed the priest. Um, Beckett excommunicated the king. Wasted no time, and eventually that's what happened, and the king didn't like that, and it led eventually to Beckett's martyrdom. I won't go to other details because this does a lot I don't remember, but let's go to the letter here, a letter by St. Thomas Beckett Bishop, without real effort, no one wins the crown. If we who are called bishops desire to understand the meaning of our challenge, of our calling, I'm sorry, if we who are called bishops desire to understand the meaning of our calling and to be worthy of it, we must strive to keep our eyes on him who God appointed high priest forever and to follow in his footsteps. For our sake, he offered himself to the Father upon the altar of the cross. He now looks down from heaven on our actions and secret thoughts. And one day he will give each of us the reward his deeds deserve. As successor of the apostles, we hold the highest rank in our churches. We have accepted the responsibility of acting as Christ's representatives on earth. We receive the honor of belonging to that office and enjoy the temporal benefits of our spiritual labors. It must therefore be our endeavor to destroy the reign of sin and death and by nurturing faith and uprightness of life to build up the church of Christ into a holy temple in the Lord. There are great many bishops in the church but would to god we were the zealous teachers and pastors that we promised to be at our consecration and still make profession of being the harvest is good and one reaper or even several would not suffice to gather all of it into the granary of the lord yet the roman church remains the head of all the churches and the source of catholic teaching of this there can be no doubt. Everyone knows that the keys of the kingdom of heaven were given to Peter. And upon his faith and teaching, the whole fabric of the church will continue to be built until we all reach full maturity in Christ and attain to unity in faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Of course, many are needed to plant and many to water. Now that the faith has spread so far and the population becomes so great, even in ancient times when the people of God had only one altar, many teachers were needed. How much more now for an assembly of nations, which Lebanon itself could not provide with the fuel for sacrifice, and which neither Lebanon nor the whole of Judea would supply with beasts for burnt offerings. Nevertheless, no matter who plants or waters, God gives no harvest unless what he plants is the faith of Peter. And unless he himself assents to Peter's teaching, all important questions that arise among God's people are referred to the judgment of Peter in the person of the Roman pontiff. Under him, the ministry of Mother Church exercises the power committed to them each in his own sphere of responsibility. Remember then how our fathers worked out their salvation. Remember the sufferings through which the church has grown and the storms the ship of Peter has withered because it has Christ on board. Remember how the crown was attained by those whose sufferings gave new radiance to their faith. The whole company of saints bear witness to the unfairing truth that without real effort, no one wins the crown. Yeah, well, that's, I like that. That's very, very beautiful. 
I think it's an amazing when you think about it, even back then in the time of, uh, of Beckett, there was a constant fight between church and state. Look what's happening now with the coronavirus. Look at the, look at the situation now, even now, what's going on in Rome with Pope Francis with Soros, Jeffrey Sachs, the European Union, the globalists, they all want control, basically, to the driver's seat, to control the church. Uh, even like Henry VIII, uh, a direct descendant of Henry II, uh, wanted to control the Pope and wanted to control the church. And when he couldn't get his way, what did he do? He broke away from the Roman Catholic Church and started his own church, the Church of England, which later on became the Anglican Episcopal Union. And later on, it fractured to Methodists. And now we have like hundreds of thousands of denominations around the world. And in Byzantium, the emperor wanted to was the head of the church. And that caused the two... The, the East and West schism. The point is, is that notice how he understood about the harvest, the harvest and in the granary. Those were allusions he was pointing to Joseph in Egypt. Remember during the famine, the seven-year famine and the seven-year plenty. The seven-year plenty would follow by seven years of famine and he had to collect all the granary and put it in the granary house in the Egyptian house, which was a symbol of the harvest of the end times, the gospel. Joseph, who became ambassador, was a picture of the Christ, the picture of Jesus Christ. And then later on, you see with the temple, the Jewish people only had one temple and one altar. The Jews could not break up and go into several different denominations as much as some people want to say. Only the temple was the place for them to worship. And so therefore they had to stay. They had they didn't have the option of going off and starting off their own. They may have had small synagogues, but they all were surrounded by the temple. The temple was the place where they had to gather and worship. The only place where they can perform a sacrifice. That's there. And later on, of course, you had the church. And you had all the different things going on. You know, uh, we had the persecution. We had the martyrdom, the age of martyr, the martyrs. We had the heretics and the heresies helped form the church and, and keep the church orthodox and Catholic. These things were very important to us. We had, to, you know, we couldn't just break away. And it's still now we can't break away. You know, it's just a lot of people... A lot of people think that, you know, it, it's possible to break away. You can't. We got the Bible from the church. We get the sacraments from the church. One baptism, one Lord, one sacrament. That's all. One church. As much as some of our brothers and sisters in the separate denominations would dislike this, but that's true. All right. So let's go to the, um, the, the Nessing Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, constantial with the Father, through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation he came down from heaven. And by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. He rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is a is adored and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. And I'll say the, um, the Our Father first in Latin, and then I'll say it in English. Pater noster qui es in celi, sanctificetur nomen tuum, adviniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, secure in celo ed in terra. 
Panam nostrum quotidianum da nobis hodie, et demiti nobis diepta nostra. Secure nos demitimos, deptoribus nostris, et ne nos indugas in tatashinam, sed libra nos amalo. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael, Archangel of God, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wild, wicked attack of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And now, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the divine power of God, cast into hell, Satan and all evil spirits who prowl the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All right, folks. Um, once more, Merry Christmas. And uh, we're getting close to the end of this uh, this year. And so right at the start of the new year, it's going to be a new season. So that's how I'm going to do it. And um, hopefully next year things will get better, God willing. And... Um, Hopefully, uh, the Lord will have mercy upon us and uh, stabilize it or whatever it is according to his will. He wants, he has plans for us, but we'll be, all we know is that the Lord loves us and he wants us to come back to him. And it's important that we remain faithful, keep praying your rosary, and keep studying the faith. Next year, we're going to try to go into further into uh, catechism. Uh, because after all, it is the informed Catholic, and I'll try the best I can. Uh, well, politics, I know that's that's still part of life. We're going to have to do some of it, hopefully, um, but we're going to do it uh, according to the Catholic faith. I'm going to try to, everything that comes across, I'm going to try to, as best as I, as I can, to uh, align it with catholic faith catholic teaching i know there's a lot of talk with the social justice warriors catholic social justice and i believe a lot of it is um my personal belief is misrepresented because social justice without faith without grace without repentance of sin is not social justice. It's not even Catholic teaching. It's not apostolic. And a lot of, I think a lot of Catholics hijack it uh, for deliberate reasons. Anyway, we're going to end it here. Please pray for me and God bless. And we'll be back together again soon. God bless and Merry Christmas one more time. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.